enclosed. Oh, we got a special treat for you. You know what we're going to do today? We're going to talk to Vintage Baseball players from coast to coast and border to border. Talking about Vintage Baseball for about half an hour or so. And then we're going to get more involved in their lives. <laughs> I'd introduce our next guest, but we started a couple minutes early. We'll introduce him when he comes into the room. Uh, this is the Roller Out the Barrel Show. I am B to the double R, R to the double L, the barrel roller. <laughs> wow. Joined by my co-host and friend, uh, the gentle lover, <laughs> Rudy Swamp Fox for you. Rudy, how you doing? That's right, life partner. I'm doing great. <laughs> uh yeah, we were just discussing our uh, our weekend activities. Yours were a lot more fun than mine. Uh, tell me about these two festivals you went to with your family over the weekend. Oh well, the the Day of the Dead festival is uh, something that uh, we discovered about four or five five years ago, actually. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's so it's a celebration. The Day of the Dead, for those who don't know, is November second. And it is a uh, celebration of of life and remembrance of people that are no longer with us. If you've seen the movie Coco, uh, you, you're familiar with it. I would also recommend you check out the movie The Book of Life. It's a so it's a great movie. Um, but no, it's uh, great food, amazing art, good music. It was a lot of fun. And then uh, we switched it up and. Um, tackled the Italian festival, which here in Columbus, Italian village is like maybe four blocks right before you get to the heart of the downtown. And so they cram all this stuff into like two blocks and thousands of people show up. So if you don't get there early, you're like shoulder to shoulder. Luckily we're, we're old. So we got there real early and uh, yeah, man, oh gosh, eat like pizza, drink wine, cannolis, Calamari. Ah, that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> but no, it's just a a fun fun activities to do in the fall here in Columbus, Ohio. What what you said? What what did you do this weekend? You said it wasn't fun. Well, but you know I what? Cleaned my garage, and I got into all my vintage baseball stuff from the uh, festival. And I just want to thank everybody for their kind donations of items they left behind at the festival that I have no idea what's yours, but there's some interesting stuff in there. So thanks a lot, everybody. You got a lost and found? I love it. <laughs> there's somebody, uh, somebody didn't pick up their t-shirt too. So I got, <laughs> I got to uh, try to contact this woman who lives in Illinois. I would assume she has some affiliation with the Lamont, the Lamont team. Uh, I'll see if I can get her shirt, but she, <laughs> no one's ever contacted me about it. And That's right. If you're listening to this and you attended the Michigan Vintage Baseball Festival and you left something there, reach out to Barrel Roller. <laughs> no, it's mine now. I mean, <laughs> I keep it. You see this? I keep it. Uh, so I didn't realize how much vintage baseball stuff I had. So it was time to pull out. See, we have in the back of our garage, we have this closet area so we do this thing where we pull out all of the christmas decorations and put in all the baseball stuff and uh we did that and then we just cleaned the rest of the garage while we were at it and painted the floor and let, let me ask you this question yeah. uh, you, you you mentioned pulling out christmas decorations are you a halloween decorator Oh, look at that. Look at that. For our listeners who can't see, there's a, a cute, adorable puppy dog. It's my French. Right it's my Frenchy Jack. <laughs> oh, oh, that dog's kissing you. I That's a thing. You. I love you, baby. Uh, <laughs> ooh. I don't. And I am a huge Halloween decorator in my heart. But we live on a a halfway busy road and we do not have a sidewalk. So we don't get any trick or treaters. And when you can't enjoy the Halloween season fully, 
the day after when you have to start tearing down Halloween decorations, it's no fun. Interesting. So most of our, uh, you know, when I got married, my, my wedding reception was a Halloween costume party. Oh, I've seen pictures. So we have a lot of decorations left over for that, but those are mainly inside stuff. I don't know. I love Halloween. I wish I could get trick-or-treaters or or people would, you know, putting up the decorations, people are driving by at 45 miles an hour, and they ain't got no time to see that. So, Well, um, our guest has arrived. All right. Well, let's bring him in. Our guest, coming to you from round on the ends and high in the middle from Dayton, Ohio. He is a member of the Dayton, Ohio Clodbusters, but you know you're part of a good team when you just say Clodbusters and everybody knows what you're talking about. He is a man that I know nothing about and Rudy is familiar with, I believe. (laughs) He is Mark Willis. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, happy to be here. That's How's it the, going, Mark? It's going good. Good to see you. I saw you up in Columbus. Yeah. No, we we but I we watched your match. Um, that remember Bear Roller? They're a really great match with yes. the fungi. Yes. Yeah, that was fun. That was a that was like one of my favorite matches of the yeah. weekend, and we I never got to see how far Albatross hit that ball. Oh my gosh! Like. Folks, go back into the archives, listen to the play-by-play of that game. That was the hit of the weekend. He crushed the ball to the bridge. It was amazing. Yeah. Perfect timing, too. We needed it. I know. (laughs) So, so Mark, coming from a guy who who is not familiar with the Cloudbusters, and and I'll put you in my timeline, or I'll put you in my timeline, whatever. Here's a timeline that's going to happen. Uh, I joined the Bay City Independence. This is about okay. ten years ago, I want to say. Okay. And uh, Saginaw had started their run at the World Tournament, so mm-hmm. everybody talked about the Cloudbusters, the Cloudbusters, the Cloudbusters. They're the they are the pinnacle of the sport. They were the the ones. They they and I've never <laughs> seen you play. The Cloudbusters I'm talking about. I've, I've yeah. never run across the Cloudbusters in a match or seen or heard much about the Cloudbusters. So it was almost like too good to be true. Like, I want to see these people and I never <laughs> run into them uh, because you dominated the world tournament just before my time. So I didn't get to, to, to see any of that. And then everybody talks about Mark Willis. Mark Willis was part of the club still back then when they were dominating the world tournament. And you are a very, very loved and respected guy in the vintage community. That's all I've heard this week is Mark Willis. And quite frankly, I'm sick of you, Mark. But <laughs> well, try being me. You think that? <laughs> you get away from it in an hour. So where I wanted to start with you. Uh, this week is we usually start from the beginning to the end, but sometimes we jump around. I want to start at the beginning of the world tournament for the Cloudbusters and the amazing run you went on and what the dynamic of the club was back then. Well, I joined the club in the early 90s, and we weren't good at that point. We were okay, but we weren't good, and we, we kind of built up. And then about the time that that tournament began we started a good run we went one season completely undefeated won 35 or so games um and we actually were good enough that we had sort of a signal to stop stop <laughs> runs you would not swing at a ball but you would like don't take the extra base don't yeah. make the don't throw the guy out from left field at first base Absolutely. things like that um and which, by the way, is not a signal we need these days. <laughs> but um, but we really, because as much as there's a strong, skillful team, we still wanted to play as gentlemen. The spirit of the game has always been what has been a clodbuster tradition. Whether we're good, mediocre, or bad, we still always want to keep that that vintage spirit as part of it. 
and we like to win, of course. But but back then we had a number of good athletes. We're not we weren't particularly big, but we were fast. I had one guy come up from St. Louis when we were at Ohio Cup and looked at us and said, "I thought you guys would be bigger." <laughs> we weren't big, but there's a lot of uh, you know. I have learned over the years that speed is is as important as anything else, and more so than power. Yeah. Well, Ian's, Ian's an exception, but generally, yeah. <laughs> generally more than power, that speed, and that's what, what the teams we had back then really had. We played solid defense. We played smart. It was just a, a fun team to be on. Okay, so that's great. The very politically correct answers right there. Good job, Mark. Uh, but now talk yeah, That's of- really how we were. We really wanted to, <laughs> we wanted to win, but we wanted to beat decent about it and okay so let me help you you dominated the teams at the world tournament for many years Mm -hmm. it it was uh (laughs) what what did those teams have to do to catch up to you what were they doing wrong well you know part of it is we lost some players um we had one guy who who moved and then one or two others left so that really was our decline but they also, I think other teams got better. And one of the things that really hurt us up there is when we would play, I think it was the old gold, they put us in a small park where we couldn't step back far enough in the outfield to catch the balls. If we were in a big unrestricted field, I think we'd have had a whole different game. But they put us where they could hit it in there. It's a ground rule, double or home runners, and we couldn't couldn't get to it. And between that and, and losing some of our key players, our, our time ended up there. You know, Barrel Roller, also, uh, he, Mark kind of glo- uh, glossed over uh, the defensive prowess of uh, the Clodbusters. You, you, you yourself, Barrel Roller, say that defense and, and making smart defensive plays are going to make you, uh, uh, bring you success. The Clodbusters... It was like clockwork, honestly. Like it was watching a, a shortstop field a ground ball and throw her to first. It was the most root. It was like breathing for them. It was effortless, and they were very smart with the plays they made. That I mean, personally, watching them, that's what I mean. Contribute. Yeah, I, I, I was think, like, I think deep anybody, almost any team can score runs in vintage baseball, but defense makes a difference. There were times as a pitcher with two outs and someone had hit a deep fly ball the outfield. I start jogging to the bench. I know. Oh, that was was over. (laughs) Uh, It was just, I had confidence in those folks. They were both fast and sure-handed, had some good arms in the outfield too. Um, And we put, we put, one thing we did is we put a really good athlete. We had Zeke at first base a lot of times. And often teams put someone big and slow at first base because that's the only place. If they don't get the ball, and they get more plays at first base, then it, it ruins your whole inning and it puts you at risk. So we put one of our best athletes there, and I think that really changed our whole team. I remember when we came up with that, uh, we were actually driving down to um, Natchez for a tournament. We decided to start that, and it made a big difference. Yeah, I mean, a great hand. Like, Barrel Roller, just to give you some reference, it would be like having a booze hound at first base. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like that, it was a phenomenal athlete across the board. And I, you know, I'm just want to say before we move on, I really respect the, the signal that, uh, that you developed as a club, because I mean, you, you recognize you have to coexist with these people after the game. You're not, you know, you're going to see these people down the road and these are people in the community. And, and I really appreciate that. Well, we want to play again and we want to, you want everybody to, to have a good day playing baseball. I mean, that that really was the purpose. But it, it, it was fun winning that, that first one when we went up there. We had won a lot here locally, but we didn't know how we would stack up against them. Bay City was one of the teams we'd heard about. Um, and I think that we might have played them in that final game. Um, so we didn't know how we'd stack up. And it was it was exciting. We played – there was a lot more running – <laughs> uh, they were very, very open. We played somewhere you could steal any time. There was no limits. And our team worked well. 
<laughs> but um, it was exciting. I think it came down to the last out in that first game. And when we won it, it was pretty exciting. I have to tell you one story, too. We had a rookie out in left field. Last inning, we were up by maybe one or two. There were a couple guys on base. Someone lifts one deep into the left field to this rookie. And he catches it on the fly, ends the game. And we're running around. And he's standing out there. He finally comes in. He said, I thought there was just one out and we were going to lose. <laughs> he said, if I knew the game was on the line, I'd have been too nervous to catch it. <laughs> so, so thank goodness for naive rookies, I guess. Yeah, right? <laughs> so a couple of the notes I wrote down. One, if if I understand you correctly, the Cloudbusters' reign of terror at the World's Tournament would have lasted a lot longer if they wouldn't have gypped you and put you on short fields. I think that's one thing well, you're saying. <laughs> it would have lasted longer, and I can't say they gypped us. It's just the style of play. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we might have got another year or two out of it, but I think we were maxing out then. Teams were catching up, and we were slowing down, so. And you also t- and we, had one, we had one where it was rained out. We were headed to the finals, I think, and it was was rained out. Mm-hmm. We beat Akron one to nothing. I remember the rain poured off the brim of my hat to get to that game to, to, before it was canceled for the whole tournament. But it's a nice place to play too. And you, that you guys played up there. You played up there, really. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! A great place to go. Yeah, you, guys, you guys won it one year, didn't you? Uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, after you guys stopped showing up. Yeah, we uh, we, we we won it. <laughs> and after you guys, yeah, it's a, it's, this is a fun place to play, and it's one of the things I like about vintage baseball is traveling, seeing different places. We played at Old Beth Page a few times. We played at um, down in Mississippi at Natchez, and um, you know tournaments all over the place. Hobart's still one of my favorite places. So. You know, doing the, the traveling with the team's always fun too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. After you guys stopped going, uh, Bay City kept finishing in second, so that kept yeah. happening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that never changed. <laughs> the, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, <laughs> uh, you you touched on a subject, and we like to get you know we're a vintage baseball podcast, so when a subject comes up that should be addressed throughout the community. I'd like to take a couple of minutes to talk about it. Running up the score, you say your your club had a signal when it was time to maybe take the the foot off the accelerator so much. There are teams, there are clubs, there are mindsets in the vintage community that say running up and beating people 70 to 7 was accurate. That it was accurate back then and nobody should get upset about it. Now it was accurate. But that's a mm-hmm. whole different time with a whole different people with a whole different mindset in a whole different situation. So uh, talk more about your thoughts on teams running it up and why they shouldn't in this situation. Well, it, it, and you're absolutely right. It is accurate. If you read old newspaper accounts and you look at the scores, um, uh, it, it's 70 to, to 9 or something. It's not uncommon. But you know, it doesn't feel right for us today. And I just, I, I don't have a whole lot more than it just doesn't feel right. You know, we will have lunch or dinner with these folks afterwards. We want to play them again. If it was a tournament, we'd want to be invited back. Um, and if you're a new team, and I played on teams, I played on a team one year before I was with the Clodbusters. You don't learn much getting plastered like that. It doesn't, it's not an educational opportunity. It discourages people. We want to build up the vintage baseball movement. We want more people playing. And, you know, people don't come back if they lose like that very often. And they don't want to schedule you again. Um, it's dispiriting. I, I don't I don't have the desire to do that. And while we see that in, like, newspapers, one thing I've always wanted to know more about is, you know, the newspapers covered the biggest games and the biggest teams. But I think there were smaller teams too who played with maybe a little bit of a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I played all kinds of baseball over the, the decades. I was going to say years, but it's decades. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you, you see all kinds of different approaches. So I had to assume that back then there were different teams that approached things differently too. We only know about a, a, the small section that's covered in the newspaper, occasional diary. 
Yeah. It's interesting that you, uh, you say that. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things that are, were, or would be considered accurate and appropriate for 19th century that are not exactly appropriate for the 21st century. And I, uh, I, I always come from the standpoint, well, having been on the receiving end of a Clodbuster mm-hmm. stomping, like I, it, it kept people engaged in, in like in the crowd, not just the team, mm-hmm. but like nobody wants to show up and watch that happen. Like they, you know, and then you can have, and I've always attested that the Clodbusters were always that um, tough, but fair, you know, they would, they would, give you everything they had, but they weren't giving you anything. Yeah, you know, yeah. you were, you had to earn every step of the way when you played the Clodbusters. And I always respected that about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'll be honest. We want to win and I still do. And not only that, but I want to do my best. I get upset with myself. If I leave a guy on third or something, um, mm-hmm. I lose control when I'm pitching and it, you know, it takes five to six pitches before a guy can get a pitch <laughs> to swing at. So I, I get, I, I want to do my best, and we did as a team. Um, but on the other hand, if there were close calls, we expected everybody to, to be honest about it. And if you weren't sure and the guy on the other team said, no, I'm definitely safe, you, you take his word. Okay, mm-hmm. you're safe. And you don't keep complaining about it. And, and we, we trained. We, that was part of our practice. That was part of our training. We would discuss that. I, remember having a few folks on the bench where they yell at the ump or another player. And you're going to say, that's not how we do it here. And one or two would leave the team. It's like, well, it's not the right team for them. That's cool. There's church softball if you want to be mean. I love that. Right. And then they get into a fight in the parking lot because that's church (laughs) softball. Uh, You know, yes, teams – you have to break bread with this team afterwards. Halfway through that game, they've already decided they're not scheduling with you again. Mm-hmm. And you don't you're not thinking of long-term effects, but Rudy and I always say from day 1, we want to win. Everybody wants to win. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's why scores being kept. But there's a difference. Mm-hmm. You can win mm-hmm. with class or you can be mm-hmm. a softball team. And yeah. Yeah. I prefer the teams that win with class. I will I will lose yep. to a team that wins with class every day of the week and not, and it won't bother me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's very much ha- how the game feels to you. Um, you know, do you have a, a close game? You lose, but you feel like we're all friends, um, or you feel like they complained about every call and they tried to get every edge, even things that weren't really legit. And and it's like well, I don't want to play that way. This is why I have found my home in vintage baseball. This is why I like it. I it's the game, but it's the spirit underneath the game that makes a difference for me. So let me ask you this, Mark, before we get into other baseball uh, quandaries, uh, you have lots of experience at the world tournament. You have lots of experience of, of playing the game the right way, calling yourself out when you believe mm-hmm. you're out. Uh, mm-hmm. What we see at the world's tournament now is nobody calling themselves out. Yeah. Never. Like you are to stay on that base. Some teams instruct their guys to stay on the base mm-hmm. until you are told to leave that base. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, it has gotten, even going into it, even the first one, it was more competitive. It was a, a step up. When we went up to play our first tournament, we were there the night before. Scott uh, Plowboy Trion was our captain. Um, and one of the finest players and, and people I've ever met uh, in vintage baseball. But he said, you know, we are going to make a little extra effort to win this. We, I'm going to set our lineup to win. Mm-hmm. It's not good. So you may not get to play as much as you want to because we are going to make a little more emphasis to win. Mm-hmm. That said, we still, you know, like there were some rules about running. We made decisions with the other captain in agreement. We played one game where you could anybody run all they want. And we ran up, we scored a lot, and it was just a track meet. And so we, we kind of worked out some, some unofficial rules. But that, that tournament is more competitive. That said, it has gotten to a point where, and I think it was getting there when we left, that it was not, it didn't feel like the style of vintage baseball we wanted to play. 
Um, you know, I don't mind being a little more competitive than the right. Like I'm a lot less so at Ohio cup because right. it's an exhibition. It's fun. Um, you know, and, and I know some people don't like to play it because it's the 55 minute time, but you go into it knowing this is what it is. You're having fun. You're seeing your old buddies and you just play and you know, the world cup just the opposite is more serious, but there's a level of seriousness that I think like, that just doesn't feel like our style of ball. I mean, we were not, even when we were winning, it was feeling a little bit like this is a little bit far astray from what we want to be. Yeah, so you definitely hate it today. I was going to start the let's get the Cloudbusters back at the World Tournament, but doesn't yeah. sound like that's something you're really interested in. So. You know, I, yeah, I, I don't think they would enjoy it. I honestly don't. We have a, a, we have a lot of, we actually have more players than we've had in a long time. Um, and they're really uh, building up skills. We went through a, a really down number of years where we weren't very good. And we're, we're better now, but we're not a real, real competitive team. And we really have worked on this spirit. And I think they would get up there and a lot of them would just say, this isn't what we signed up for. It, it's definitely a different animal. And, and I must say, after having watched uh, your match at the Ohio Cup, you're, mm-hmm. you're on the right path. Like, mm-hmm. because the Fillmore Fungi are a really good club. Yeah. Like, yeah. They and they're fairly been... serious, too. Yeah. They, yeah. they wanted to win that game, too. We, Barrel Roller and I commented on it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the fun. I, I don't mind not going up there. I enjoyed it, but I think it's like, eh. not not anymore. Is there a tournament the Cloudbusters take part in currently that you're like, this is right? You know, this is. We usually do the heart of vintage baseball, but we missed out on that because we're oddly enough short on players. Um, and that one we kind of liked. There was one other, there may be one or two others, but um, yeah. As long as it, if, if, it, if it has the right spirit and we can get the right number of folks, I still like playing tournaments. And I don't, actually, what I like is playing three games in a day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that Tip City, Tip Cup. Tip City. Right. Yeah, yeah, that one's good. We used to um, we used to see you all the time at Tip yeah, City. Yeah, yeah, yep. I have a wonderful picture of Ian giving Chris a piggyback ride. At yeah. City. <laughs> Ian likes to make that his profile picture sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I took up at up at Tip City. That, yeah, that one's nice. I like that. There's only there's three games, and it's one day, and it's it's fun. Yeah, yeah, three games in one day, way better than one game in one day. Uh, yeah. but that seems to yeah, be, we play a lot of double headers. <laughs> we, we've been playing a lot of double headers. Where, where is your home field, uh, uh, for our listeners out there? Well, now at Carillon Park, um, Dayton history, wonderful place. There's a big Carillon bell tower there. So every half an hour you'll hear some kind of music. Uh, the park is wonderful inside. There's like anything from historic cash registers from NCR to, mm. Right, brothers stuff. It's really a nice place to, to hang out. Big open field. Yeah. Um, you know, there's streets and cars around, so it's not as vintage looking as some places. Um, did you ever play at, at Terry Chill when we were oh. there? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It so was a know. like a like a farm like type. It, it was, was like a we barn. Originally, and, and, and that's why we still have the farm out that played at Terry Chill. And they actually had horses and cows on the field before, and we would get out there with pitchforks and clean up. And if yeah. you reach down to throw something around, you had to be really sure it was a baseball. <laughs> I was in left field. I would, we'd have, we'd walk the field, but we'd walk the outfield before the game just to be like, oh, okay, just make sure something's there. It's not going to get there. Oh yep. man. That was fun. With barbed wire out there. I got it. I got cut on barbed wire once, twice around there. Uh, it, it was, it, it was really, um, it felt very accurate. Yeah, like where a team might play back then. But I like this place too. It's easier for people to get to. We have more people come and see the games. Um, yeah. so. I like them both. I, I had the yeah, opportunity like to play both. at Caroline Park with, um, I believe it was like a, uh, uh, I don't know if it was a tournament, but there was multiple teams there. The Atlantic Baseball Club had come, come into town. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, uh, the Frosty Sons of Thunder. <laughs> I haven't uh, played them for a while, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Sometimes it was, we'll play. It's not an actual tournament. We used we did host a tournament a few years ago, but we'll play. Well, we'll have two or three teams up, and we'll just kind of rotate. I like that. Yeah, 
Mark, can you tell us what your very earliest memories of baseball, your very first memories of baseball in your life are? Um, baseball, I was always been around. I grew up in outside of Louisville, Kentucky, um, in a court, and we didn't really have a field. So, and I've been asking baseball people this. So, you guys are perfect passes too. Uh, I'm going to interview you. I'm taking your podcast. <laughs> so, have you ever heard of a baseball game called Five Hundred? Yes, I have you heard have? of this. Explain uh, the rules. It sounds familiar. Well, that's how I started. So, it's in the court. You know, we had this big open. And there weren't many cars, but we, nobody had a big backyard. So we would play in the court. One guy would hit and usually pitch to yourself. And if you caught it on the fly, everyone's just standing around this big mosh pit. If you catch it on the fly, you get 100 points. First bounce, 75, maybe 25 for a grounder. Yes. When someone gets 500, then they come in and hit. Yes. And that was a nice way because all ages could play together. Wasn't any real pitching. Nobody waiting for balls and strikes like in, in Little League. Uh, and that's how I started. That's what we called yeah. it growing up. We called it first bounce fly. Oh, so that, that's, that's funny. Uh, I, know I think I heard it called Peggy occasionally too, but that might've been just catching one and you came in. Um, but yeah, it was, that's how I started. Then I, I did little league and, uh, you know, I played before T-ball. So you would have a kid pitching to a kid. And my parents said, I just sat out there and made, Daisy chains out in outfield because it was so long before you get a ball out. Key ball is definitely an improvement for, for kids playing. Right? It, it would they would just pitch, they walk everybody because nobody could hit that little strike zone. I wanted to make a a, a note about the game five hundred. So when okay. we always talk to people about how impossible it is to get. 17 other people from your neighborhood to play an actual baseball game. So we always talk to them about what were the rules, you know, you know, no right field or ghost runners or whatever rules everybody had yep. to play Pitch, by. Uh, Pitcher's hand out. Yeah. But the funny thing about this 500 game is, is you got three people in here right now that played an unofficial game, a made up mm -hmm. game, but we all played by the same rules. Even yeah. though I had different names. Those were the rules I played by. Yeah. Right. And that's interesting, too, because even thinking about vintage baseball, because I'm still amazed at how quickly it spread without TV or YouTube or anything. Uh, some newspaper, but uh, but that 500 spread the same way. Yeah. You know, nobody, there was no classes. There were no workshops on it. No coaches. You didn't sign up. Um, we played a lot of backyard ball. We played wiffle ball and all that. And I still think that I, I like Little League. I like the organized stuff. But we learned a lot having our own games. I used to – I lived in Montana for a while on, on base. My dad was stationed out there. And we had another barbed wire outfield and a playground. And the other side was a flight line, which might be 52s <laughs> taking off or something. But we ran our own games. And, and at one point, we mowed a field. And we had our own, own games out there. And – we had to organize everything, and we would trade bats. I had one guy wanted my bat, so he he made a bat with my name on it to trade. <laughs> but we organized it all ourselves, and I think you learned a little bit about how to run things, how to deal with people when you did that yourself as you know a seventh grader with a bunch of other seventh graders and no coaches around. I love that. That's a fan. yeah. Like coming yeah. from, I never really got baseball wasn't played in my neighborhood. So I only got to play baseball in the summertime or in the backyard with my brothers. Yeah. And so like, yeah, you definitely, especially during the time when it wasn't baseball season, we were coaching and well, my parents were a part of it as well. You know, mm -hmm. my mom and my dad, but like, it was like kid driven, kid mm -hmm. focused. And you know, yeah. you, you learn a lot. There's a lot of social, yeah. emotional growth yeah. going when, when it, you have kids uh, owning and operating an activity. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, when there was a fight about safe or out, you guys had to figure out how it went. You had to make the decision. Um, and and that, those are kind of uh, human skills that are useful throughout life that um, I'm afraid if people only play organized kid ball, they lose that. Nothing wrong with it. I think you should play, you know, Little League or whatever. But, you know, I still play. I've got grandkids and we still play, you know, four or five of us in the front yard, wiffle ball or whatever with ghost runners and, 
Because you know why. The thing is, is that organized and, and, and travel ball and all that stuff is fantastic. And, mm-hmm. and, and But it does come with uh, a price. And the price is that not everybody gets to play yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Like, and when it's, when it's family or community, and, and this is what I think is so special about vintage baseball, you show up, you get to play. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. getting to play. And, yeah. and, and that's fantastic. And, and some of those really well-organized like travel teams, I mean, you may, if you get to play, you don't always get to play where you want to or where you, you don't always get a chance. It's like, well, I think I could be a pitcher while the coach's son is a pitcher. <laughs> so <I'm gonna> go <laughs> there. You know, so, so you may end up losing out playing time because you're not in your best position. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I, I like having the home, family sort of leagues, neighborhood leagues. I think there's a lot to be said to them. When you, when you got older, did you play, did you play in high school and any organized ball? I played some in high school. I, um, but my main sport in high school was wrestling. Um, but yeah, but I played, I played baseball some too, but I did better wrestling. And then after college, after high school, I played some softball for a number of years off and on. I, I never clicked with softball. I like to play just because I like baseball, but it, none of it, it, it either was too much beer or too serious. I never <laughs> found just that, that Goldilocks for Let, me for baseball. Let's go back to the wrestling. Did you, uh, how well did you do at the wrestling? Did you win any notable awards? Well, I was, I was ranked third in the area. I won some tournaments. So I did, I got a few scholarship offers, but, um, I was pretty, I, I had, number of injuries i was like i don't want to do that and i got tired of cutting weight i was taking yeah, what was pictures. what was the weight class i was 136 my last year um uh, and then i would get up to like between matches i'd get up around one close to 150 yeah. so like eh, uh, i don't want to keep doing that <laughs> were you running in garbage bags there was I absolutely <laughs> ran in them. I slept in them. I ate hard-boiled eggs and a cup of tea uh, as my teeth. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you can tell that's, that's why wrestlers are not very high on the pecking order of high school athletes. Do you, do you still have your singlet? <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> I do not. It would belong to the team. But I really enjoyed it. It's a good sport. I like the mix of you practice with the team, but you competed individually. Um, and I like that you could be a state champion at 98 pounds. Um, <laughs> that was kind of cool. So, yeah, it was fun. Hey, uh, so you were talking about how softball never caught you. So when you came across vintage baseball, it probably wasn't a very hard sell to you. How did you come mm-hmm. across vintage baseball? So I worked at Dayton Metro Library for a long time. And I had a friend who worked at uh, Dayton's history that they collected a lot of documents and things. So we did some work together and got to know each other. Well, the Dayton Historical Society created a vintage baseball team called the Dayton Ducks, named after one of our famous minor league teams from the 30s. And they said, look, we're looking for players. It's like, oh, yeah, you're right. It was no hard sell. Like, <laughs> when and where, I, I'm there. And so the Dayton Ducks played one not very memorable. We, let's put it this way. We did not have to worry about running up the score. <laughs> we were not very good, but we had fun. We played the Claude Busters a number of times. And so when they ended up not renewing the team, I, I went and talked to them. But we, we were not very good. I remember going up there. We played at the Muffins, and they had um, uniforms we could wear. We felt really cool. <laughs> but our team, the Ducks were so bad. We had a catcher. I remember talking to him. It's like, he just didn't look right. I said, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm just passing a kidney stone. (laughs) (laughs) You think you should be playing? He goes, yeah, my doctor said I could play while I passed it. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Let me know if you need some help back there. (laughs) Yeah. All you guys out there that are playing with, like, pulled hamstrings or something. Yeah, talk to me when you're passing a kidney stone. Um, it was a, it was fun, but I, I got enough to, to know that I really liked it. And then I went to the Claude Busters. They had another guy with my same name, nickname, but they said, well, maybe we'll let you play um, sometimes in practice. And so that was 30 some odd years ago. 
Mark, for the listeners out there, yeah, what's the nickname and, and how did you get it? Oh, uh, well, my nickname is Mule, and I wish I had a better story. But the very first time I went up to bat, they said, you have to have like an animal nickname, some kind of farm <laughs> animal. And I just like the alliteration, Mule. So I, I like to say it's because I carried my whole team on my back. There you go. <laughs> but no, it was just I like Mark the Mule. And, uh, and it stuck. And I'd come across, there were other folks with that na- nickname, even a whole team. I, I played on the Canal <laughs> Sometimes I have played when they were short of players. I played for the Canal Fulton Mules because they figured, well, that's Mark. Come on over. This makes sense. <laughs> so I played on their team a number of times to, to fill in. Mark, yeah. Uh, you are a really great guy. Can we be friends? <laughs> like. I need friends like you. We are Facebook friends. I don't think that actually means anything, though. I'd like to be <laughs> real <laughs> friends. <laughs> okay, we're real friends. Let's go get beer. <laughs> uh, you know, a couple other things. Uh, we're going to transition out of the baseball a little bit. We did an interview with Kevin Mench a couple of weeks ago, and I got fooled by the Internet quite a few times on that on that interview. So I'm going to ask you something I found on the <laughs> I found on the internet because Mark Willis isn't it's a, some it's not very common but it's quite common like you so would, there, you would find a lot of Mark Willis's I'm not the motorcycle rider if that's the one you see. <laughs> I found a lot of stuff that you do uh, and we're going to get into it because I know that's that's you for sure so we have some things to talk about like the Hall Hunger Initiative. Yep, yes, yep. we we can talk about yeah, that. I, so I'm director at University of Dayton. I'm director of the Hall Hunger Initiative. It was founded by former Congressman Tony Hall, and we worked out help folks who are hungry. So, and this is I'm in my little office now here at UD. I've been here about three years, and we, it's a good good place to be. I like it. We're at UD now because we want to get more students engaged in this kind of work, and we've got engineering students now working on how to make a better hoop house and those kind of things. So we're, we're working on getting more people growing their own food, uh, farming. Uh, you know, it used to be that you, and some of my family were farmers and, and you would pass the land on. Well, a lot of people don't have that opportunity now. So we're working on ways you can make a living as a farmer with one acre um, and you don't need a tractor. Um, because that's better for the community, creates more jobs, healthier food. Um, so we're working on all kinds of things like that. Yeah, it's a good place to be. I like it. Another thing, I I was stalking through your Facebook photos, and <laughs> and I was noticing a lot of activism. But then I read some things about you, and it's not the activism. It's the photography, isn't it? It's the oh. photography that you're interested in. Now, a little bit of both, um, but I do a lot of photography. I have for a, a long time. I've always annoyed people with my camera. Uh, <laughs> if you're in a hurry and you're hiking with me, make sure I don't have my camera. Because <laughs> I, I you know, I'll be out all day on a hike, and they'll say, well, you must have covered a lot of ground. I was like, no, I have my camera. I have probably about three blocks worth of forest. <laughs> but um, I, I've always enjoyed picture i've got a lot of baseball pictures i've taken at, at, at games i've enjoyed doing that it's harder because you're in between innings but i like i still like to um i've done a lot of sports i've done a lot i'm doing a lot of nature photos uh, especially when COVID was hitting you couldn't go to movies or festivals even our baseball seasons got really shortened so uh, I've, I've always liked to hike so i was out in the woods taking a lot of nature pictures trying to get better at that um, yeah, I like it. It's something I've always enjoyed. Did your love of wildlife and wildlife photography take shape maybe when you were in Montana in your younger years? No. Uh, no um, oh, I did like, I we did a lot of travel out there. And I did like, and, and I took my son out for his 18th birthday. We went out to the Yellowstone and went through Montana some. Um, so it, I've always liked it. Um I think it made it, it was a whole different place to see it because I hadn't seen anything like Montana. Grew up in Kentucky and Ohio in this area. And it's a whole different look. So, yeah, it made me want to get out and see more of the country, see more of those areas. You I loved Yellowstone, and we went to Grand Teton, and all those areas are just stunning and great places to take pictures. 
You studied at Wright State University. This is also. I went a, there. I don't know if I can say study. Definitely <laughs> 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 paid fees there anyway. What was what were you uh, majoring in at Wright State? My degree is communication, uh, a, a BA and BS, as I always like to call it. <laughs> so um, I kind of wanted to go into newspaper, and I did a little newspaper work, but um, ended up not liking that. So I, I found other ways to use communication degree. Here is the one thing I found on the internet that I didn't know for sure was you. Okay. I found something on Amazon. Does this sound accurate? Uh, possibly. Is it the book? It's a book called Dealing with Difficult People in the Library from 1999. Did you write this book? I absolutely did. So <laughs> I worked at Dayton Metro Library for a long time. And I learned that, and I did community relations, so I was sort of the PR guy. But one of the things I learned is that if you, you do great press releases, you do great programs, people come in and the staff is grumpy, then your whole thing falls apart, right? Uh, nobody wants to come back. And I found that the staff was also stressed because libraries, urban libraries attract an offbeat crowd. You know, we had a lot of homeless. We'd have people drugs and drinking. Um, sometimes there would be fights with teens. So librarians were not always comfortable dealing with that. And I, it didn't bug me too much. I worked for a long time at Suicide Prevention Center as a volunteer, and I learned a little bit about how to defuse and how to handle things. So I did a few workshops on it, and the American Library Association asked me to write a book on it. So I did. And then once you write a book on something, people think you're an expert. So then I got invited to speak lots of places, and it was kind of fun. My whole thing, too, was I'm going to give a talk we're going to have fun. I would show Marx Brothers clips, Monty Python clips, this great Jack Nicholson, five easy pieces, diner scene. I would pull people up and make them do silly skits with me. We're going to, I'm not going to bore you for an hour and a half. I may annoy you, but I'm not going to bore you. And I tried to keep the, have funny quotes and everything through the book. And I got to tell you, so I have uh, a 10 year old grandson, Eli, and he texted me a copy of the book. He found it somehow on Amazon and my 10-year-old grandson is now going chapter by chapter and reviewing it for me. So, yes, if you go to Amazon and you look up the book, Dealing with Difficult People in the Library, you can buy it in the paperback form for $28.99. But there's also the deal, the deal of the century, which is there's 14 available copies used for $7.57. So that's where I'm headed. <laughs> yeah, and, and you should. Uh, you should. Uh, it's a little dated. Some of it, especially the bits about the internet. The internet was very new back then, but but some of it still would probably be okay. Yeah, I worked at our library. Always had book sales. That was one of our big things, and I ran the book sale. And the first time I saw my book in one of the book sales, I was pretty heartbroken. I gotta tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Libraries are such an undervalued resource. I feel like uh, I I li uh, I work in uh, I do uh, social service. I, I run I oversee after school programming okay. uh, for kids, and uh, the libraries reach out to us all the time. They're like, "Look, when we get young people in, how do we keep them in and entertained mm -hmm. without just the laptops?" And so, like, it's I I librarians and people who work at libraries are I. I salute them all the time. They are doing good, meaningful work. I, yeah, I have worked there for 26 years, and I really I felt the same. We did a lot of work with literacy, did things to help the homeless. We did all kinds of displays. We did some good things even on, on um, baseball in Dayton. We did a, a display on early baseball and tracked down a, an old field and got a plaque put out there and things like that. So it really, it's a, it's a good place, and they um, – have really made them even better for community gathering spots, uh, making sure people can't afford computers and internet. And you can't even sign up for um, food stamps now without a computer. So you can go to the library, get all of that, get help. Yeah, they're, they're, you're right, underutilized, underappreciated. Uh, hey, I just bought the book, so it's going to be here. I could not get it on Amazon Prime. It's going to be here between October 18th and October 24th. 
Uh, so uh, that worked out nicely I'll for me. I'll let you and my 10-year-old grandson start a book club discussion on it. We will absolutely <laughs> compare notes. It, it's been amazing out of all the people I have interviewed on this as we're coming to the end of our third season. How many people have things on Amazon, like Paul Salamone before his untimely death? Uh, uh, he was uh, with the Elizabeth, the New Jersey mm-hmm. Resolutes out there, had a jazz album on Amazon that oh. nobody knew about. And there's we've and there's a couple more I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, uh we just inter interviewed uh Johnny, Johnny. From, from the uh, Providence Grays who has uh a, a who's appears on a jazz album that's on Amazon and he had a solo a solo song. Oh my god. Uh, do I still have that on this thing here? Yeah. This is a guy from the Providence Grays. He plays the stand-up sta- We love this <laughs> He plays stand-up bass, so he's not the lead singer of a band, but he sings this one. He, and uh, that song that I bought off of Amazon is about um, spending some time with an ugly woman, according to Johnny. So, uh, <laughs> Honestly, though, not the ugly woman part, but that's one of the things I like about Benny's baseball. You know, in, in most of our, when you work, you work around people who are similar, no matter what, if you're doing construction, if you're doing, you know, kind of social service work like we're doing, you work around similar people. I get to baseball, I've got such a wide range of folks that, that you're with, and it's kind of nice. It, 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 that's another nice thing that gets you out of your little your little rut and you around all kinds of different people, both on my team. And, and I feel like I've made as many friends on other teams as I have on my own, partially because I annoy my own team too much. Well, uh, that's the other one they see me twice a year. It really helps that. Yes. But that's when you know you're doing it right. When, yeah. uh, when you look at your schedule and you're pointing out games because of the people you get to see that day, as opposed to the match that's about to happen on the field, that's when you know you're doing it right. And I have a feeling well, that... Well, I mentioned this to a friend. It's like, I, I'm going to go, we're going to go play. This group's one of my favorite teams. I love playing them. They're a great group of guys. And a friend said, you know, you say that about every single game. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what? I think it's it's generally true. I don't, I don't think I realized I said it that often, but I, I think I it's true. I, well, I think because vintage baseball attracts a certain kind of person. You know, a lot of folks... Are you Rudy and, and your brother? You guys could be playing at a much more competitive level. You guys are really good athletes. You're good ball players, but you like no. You don't wave me off. It's true. <laughs> but, you, but you guys have the right spirit too. You like you like this, and uh, and you know some of our, our better ball players over the years could have played, you know, at a higher level, but they like that. So I think Finnish attracts people who are interested. But they have, you know, there's a love of the game mm-hmm. that, that they all share. And Absolutely. so it makes sense yeah. that you'll and get along well. Right? Or the same we, spot we are, baseball. Mark, we're lucky considering that we live in Ohio and, and, and all over the state. So we got, mm-hmm. the, I mean, yeah. we were lucky enough, especially in the, in the nineties and the early two thousands. Yeah. the state And meet all these new people yeah. and, and you're a hundred percent right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> do um let me ask you this question about your uh your you said that decades hint on it the the grinders up there yeah i love the field it's one of those places where you, you that and, and sharing words about the two places i can think of where you don't see anything that you wouldn't see in 1860 but uh, I, and i like both of those places I miss the chickens. The chickens are gone at Sharonwood. But uh, at the Grinders, they also always have a huge crowd, and the crowd's extremely interactive. Yeah. Um, so that, and plus, I like I go up to the Indiana Dunes and hike around. So I like I like the the place there. But the the field and the team is really always fun. Um, so that may be my favorite out of town place to play. 
Barrel Roller got his first grinder experience at the Ohio Cup in their match against the Muffins. and It, it was an eye-opening experience, wasn't it? Well, I can see why they have a lot of people go to the games because they're, they're, yeah. they're giving off entertainment as well as yeah. a showcase of 19th century baseball. So you're getting yeah. multiple experiences for your your free admission, you know, like how can you beat that? And uh, well, and they talk to the crowd a lot during the game up there and they bring people out and uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And one of the things I love that, which they don't do, but you guys have, well, you pitch the kids after the game. I love doing that. Yeah. We played in Richmond, Indiana for the, do we have, I'm not going to run out of time. Well, we had, it was like the anniversary of the model T. So they had a huge, event at Richmond Stadium, which is a great old stadium. We played the Indianapolis Blues, and they had, I bet they had 5,000 people, their biggest crowd ever played in front of. But afterwards, we said we'd let kids stay and hit, and I bet we stayed for another hour and a half under the light pitching the kids. That's and, fantastic. you know, some of them had never held a wooden bat before. Mm-hmm. And I love getting the kids out to do that, too. And that, so we and, do that. Yeah. That's something the muffins do all the time. Yeah. Like, we grew up, like you mentioned, your start in vintage baseball. The mm-hmm. only time I got to pick up a vintage baseball bat was after the game. And I, you know, all this time spent on this one at bat. And it, and there were a line of kids. And yeah. those memories stick with you. Uh, the yeah. Lottie Dodds do it as well. Don't they barrel roller after games? I may be speaking out of turn here. But I believe they, the last time we were up there, we took part in the after game, letting the kids hit the baseball activity. Yes. I think a lot of clubs, uh, I can speak for a lot of clubs in Michigan that if they have more than just their, their girlfriends and wives come to the game, if there's kids that show up to the games, a majority of clubs in Michigan will do some sort of letting them swing after the game. So for everybody who says, I talk, you know, I'll pitch, I'll pitch a doubleheader, then I'll pitch to the kids as long as they want. I will never stop pitching if the kids want to. And we actually keep a few smaller bats usually with us for the kids. As a pitcher, Mark, what what gear style do you prefer to play? We do not do well with the fly game. So as a pitcher, I much prefer uh, the bound game. So that's anything up to about 1864, 65. I think, honestly, where we are as a team is is probably closer to the late 1850s. We say 1860, but I I think we are probably a little little more um, amateur (laughs) and more like in 18. We haven't got as competitive as I think it was in 1860. I love Barrel Roller commented on your style of pitching uh, at the tournament because I was talking about because um, uh, Chip Deerfoot Moore of the Muffins, mm-hmm. my father does this, and then you were doing it where you hold the ball up, you present the ball, which was a style. That's exactly of the rule, though. It says the pitcher yep. will present the ball. And and you rarely see it anymore. You yeah. you rarely see the most of the time the pitchers have it down mm-hmm. or they just quick pitch. But I was like, oh, that's that's a throwback right there, and it's perfect. I love well, it. I want the people to see things that are a little bit different, um, and so that's that's just another way to make it. And, and plus, I, I've gotten used to it. <laughs> way I can pitch now anyway. <laughs> Mark, tell us about your bat. Oh, I, I have a couple. I actually have one, uh, a maple one that I won from, from Don Fritz, who doesn't play with us much anymore. But um, he said if I would knock a runner in, this is in Tip City, in from second, he'd give me the bat. And I actually hit the last triple I hit, uh, like maybe <laughs> ever. Uh, but, uh, um, and then I also use a much bigger one once in a while. I like the way it feels. It feels if you make good contact with it, I feel like it drives the ball a little bit more. So I've got two that I switch back and forth on. You said you had some injuries back when you were wrestling. Talk about some of the injuries you've gotten playing uh, vintage baseball. Well, you know, I've been pretty lucky. A lot of hand injuries, of course, and hands are, I showed them to a doctor and he said, what the heck happened? Like, well, 32 years of (laughs) barehanded baseball. Uh, 
But other than that, you know, I've had hamstrings and bruises. When you're pitching, you do get line drives back. And I think the worst I had, one hit me in the face, Indianapolis Blues. I think it was Preacher had hit it. And it was enough that the guy at third base almost threw him out at, at first. Uh, knocked my glasses off. But I insisted on finishing the game once we got my glasses fixed because I didn't like the idea of being knocked out of a game. Um, and I, I wish they would have thrown him out because I love the idea of the, the play going like, one to five to three. Just never see that in the scores anymore. <laughs> so that my biggest thing, and I've had a few hamstrings and things, um, but nothing major. I've never had to get a, a splint. Well, I've had a few splints, but no cast. I don't know if I've ever had any broken. So I've done okay. Yeah, playing. It's really, it's really something you never think of. Sorry, Barrel Roller. No, you, you never think of it as a pitcher. When you're hurling, like yeah. the line drives coming back at you until it happens. Like, what, what, no, I think of it. <laughs> if you're a pitcher and you've got Ian up there who can pull an airplane, and you're like, okay, by the time I let go of this ball and he swings the bat, we're going to be about 38 feet away from each other. <laughs> but I know he would say nice things at my funeral, so that helps. I'll ask for you all. I knew him well. Woody. Um, Woody. It, 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 you know, I know how different hitters hit now and I also know which ones like like Ian really doesn't once you know he doesn't hit line drives up the middle um, and no matter where he's going to hit it deep in the outfield and it's always a high arch yeah. but um, but there are some who, who do and, and I get a few bumps and bruises the worst ones frankly are the ones that are mid-level because you don't know if you duck or you jump so you turn sideways take it off the leg and, and you're usually okay <laughs> Uh, Mark, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, we have come to just about the end. Uh, you are a true treasure treasure to the vintage baseball community. Uh, Rudy, say some nice things to Mark, would you? I mean, I've known Mark for as long as I've been in vintage baseball. And uh, the quality, not just of play, but the quality of person he is, is certainly something that has a, uh, resonated and and helped form how I approach vintage baseball and how I approach uh, running the Columbus Capitals and the type of atmosphere we try to create on our club. Like, it's surely just emulating you guys. And, I I mean, I think the world of Mark. And, and I'm always – I always consider it – I say this at the end of matches all the time, and I mean it 100%. It's a privilege – to be on the field with the, the Claude Busters because we have such a long history with them. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And um, I'll never forget, I, I was like, oh my gosh, we might be good the very first time we beat the Claude Busters because yeah. I think it was like 2008 or 2009 and yeah. we had been around since for 10 years in the Capitals <laughs> and we were like, well, we got the Claude Busters where well, we're going to take this loss. That's just the way it is. But it, we thought so highly of them that it's still one of the greatest achievements of our club's his, uh, history is, is being able to, to play you guys and, and somehow eke out a victory. So yeah. I, you're, you're a fantastic person. Well, thank you. I've always enjoyed playing with you guys, your, your whole family. I think that's so great. I, yeah. And that's just, what I love. It's like, you know, I've known you people I, I, for decades yeah. now. I and mean, it's I know, something special for me. Mm-hmm. And and we've been friends for minutes now, Mark, and I treasure this relationship <laughs> very much. Uh, we're going to get you out of here on a segment. Quality, we, not quantity, right? That's right. There it is. We're going to get you out of here in a segment uh, called Giving You the Old Pepper, where I'm just going to pepper you with a bunch of easy questions with some easy answers. And it's just okay. a thing we do. Don't judge us. Here we <laughs> go. Mark, what did you have for lunch today? Uh, what I have? Um, oh, Chinese buffet. Nice. Who's going to win the World Series? I'm afraid the Dodgers. What is one of the ugliest colors? Kind of that six P green. What it's is all the exorcist? That's the green. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty bad. What is your favorite book that you've read? Hmm. Anything by Vonnegut. Maybe Slaughterhouse-Five, Cat's Cradle, one of those. What is your favorite vintage baseball event you look forward to going to? Um, opening day. 
wherever it is. Good. I've gone so long without in between. I'm busting. Uh, what was your first car? A 64 Chevy Impala named Ina, which was almost that green I hate. <laughs> the car <laughs> that, is pretty. That, yes, that explains that. Um, when you were in Montana, or I guess because you like to fo- you like to photograph wildlife, what is the biggest animal you've ever come across photographing, or another rhinoceros? Rhinoceros in Nepal. Nice. What was the first yeah. concert you ever went to? At Bachman Turner Overdrive. Oh, was taking care of business. Pencil, but that's it. <laughs> what and is they your, were big at the time. What is your favorite nursery rhyme? Oh, um, I guess three blind mice. I think that's pretty absurd. I kind of like absurdism. Uh, have you ever milked a cow? Yes, I have frequently. And when you were wrestling in high school, what was your best maneuver? A side roll. I would stand up and drop down into a side roll, led the team in reversals. That was my best thing. Side roll. Also what you had for lunch today. So, (laughs) (laughs) so Mark, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for being on with us. Uh, You definitely are one of the people that came in and classed the place up. We actually sounded like like a real podcast, Rudy. We sounded real today. We did it. (laughs) You told me. I believed it was real. (laughs) (laughs) It is real. But now we we have an episode everybody can take seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for inviting me. I, I love talking. I told someone, I said, Baseball, you can talk about it for hours. Like, yeah, I guess I can. So I enjoy okay. it, especially having folks on who know what vintage baseball is all about. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mark, stay on the line for us so we can uh, say goodbye okay. to you like gentlemen would as Rudy's going to take us out. Folks, I just want to remind you that you can find the Roller Out the Barrel Show wherever you're getting your podcast. Be sure to subscribe, click the like button, leave a review. And, you know, for the barrel roller, I'm the Swamp Fox, and he loves it when I say keep it station to station, and we'll see you out in the field. Wee! Huzzah. <laughs>